Ding, 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 ding. Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of Welcome to Talking Pictures Trivia, the podcast in which a group of The podcast in which a group of The podcast in which a group of B-Side. Hello and welcome back to B-Side. This is Tom here, and today I'm going to be talking about the 1995 film The Englishman Who Went Up a Hill but came down a mountain. Okay. And this is a movie um, directed by uh, Christopher Munger, who is a Welsh filmmaker, uh, mostly a screenwriter. He's directed a few other movies, Waiting for the Light, Girl from Rio, I think might have been his other largest film, but mostly he was a, a screenwriter. And uh, start with a, a brief plot summary, because I'm assuming this is a smaller movie that people might not know it. But um, the movie is taking place in 1917, really during the, the war. And we are in a small town, Finitgaro, uh, a small Welsh town in eastern Wales, um, which is named for a mountain that the town is very proud of. We meet some of the characters. The most important ones are Morgan the Goat, and Morgan the Goat is a bar owner and a person who has, I believe, gotten away with not going off to war, to World War I, um, and consequently he has been sort of sleeping with all the women. He's the only man around. And he's, you know, very charismatic and, and all that type of thing, you know, those types of things. Um, and he's kind of the star. He's the bar owner, and he's very uh, civic-minded in the sense of he's kind of able to orchestrate the community to do things that he thinks are important. And at the other end of this communal avenue, so to speak, is the Reverend Jones, and the Reverend Jones is a holy man, as you've probably inferred, and he um, is very strictly religious. He never goes into the bar. Morgan the goat never goes into the church. Um, the Reverend Jones condemns him constantly uh, in, in his sermons, and that's kind of the setup. Um, you know, we have a few other people who are, are running around the town, but really, those two characters, the Reverend Jones and Morgan the Goat, kind of pop out. Everybody else is sort of a traditional Welshman or Welshwoman. And what ends up happening is Hansen and Garrod, these two British folks, um, Hansen is played by Hugh Grant in one of his earlier roles, come to Finitgaro. Um, on a mission to measure the heights of various mountains. And the reason being, it, it, they want to see how practical the terrain is in case something goes wrong in World War One. I. I guess they have to kind of retreat in World War One. And so the British government has hired them to uh, measure these mountains. These are professional cartographers. The rule in cartography is that if a mass of land is a thousand feet above sea level, it's a mountain. Anything below is a hill. I don't know what the bottom level of hill is, but if it's below a thousand feet, it's a hill. And 
the town is very invested in Finutgaro being a mountain. And the reason being is they, there's these kind of stories about how the, you know, the mountains of Wales prevented the British from conquering them, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They see themselves as apart from the British, as not being one with the British. And the, the mountain is their means sort of of independence, right? Finnegaro is this thing that has blocked the British from, from conquering them. Now, of course, Wales is a country in Great Britain. However, this is the story that these, these townsfolk are telling. And what ends up happening at the beginning of the movie is they measure it, Hanson and Garrett do, and then uh, handsome Hugh Grant comes down into the bar and announces to the townsfolk that the mountain is only 980-so feet, and it is, in fact, a hill. This sparks indignation among the townsfolk, who are furious that their mountain has been um, turned into a hill by these empirical British people. And Hugh Grant is very charming, but the, the head cartographer... Mr. Garrett is quite dismissive of the Welsh. She sees them as natives, he refers to them, and um, spends most of the time in the town dismissing them and getting drunk. And so the townsfolk organize, and they decide to ruin the car of Hugh Grant and Mr. Garrett so that they're trapped in Finnet Garrow, uh, until the townsfolk can carry enough dirt to build a mound so that they have a mountain, right? So they want to carry, you know, something a little less than 20 feet worth of dirt to make this mountain higher. Um, and so that's the plot. Of course, not to spoil anything, but they succeed, and, if, and Hugh Grant becomes the hero because he measures it at the last possible minute, at the same time getting engaged to one of the women in the town. So this is, and, and he decides that he's going to really love Finnegaro and that he would be happy to live here. So it ends up becoming, it, it ends up all working out. Um, and so now I want to go a little bit into my reflections here because this movie really touched me. I liked it a lot, probably even more than its quality, and, and that's okay. Um, but this is, these are some of my thoughts on the film. So I, I would say that this is a movie about tradition, and that's a pretty obvious statement to make if you see it. Um, but it's, a, it, it's more clear that it's about tradition because it's taking place during the arrival of modernity. We have these British people with their empirical instruments coming to measure these mountains for the sake of the Great War, which is a war uh, that starts with, like, you know, the, the French uh, corporals on the field are wearing white gloves and riding horses and things like that. And by the end, they're firing cannons that are so powerful you have to stand a hundred yards away from them and keep your mouth open so they don't blow your eardrums out. The war ends up becoming a truly modern war in the tactics and in the machinery that are brought to bear. And since this movie takes place in 1917, modernity has occurred. 
right? The war has become a modern war. It's not 1914 anymore, even though 1914 was quite brutal as well. Um, we know what we're in at this point. And a lot of people, even a lot of people in this town, it's a fictional town, but in this fictional town have died. And we have um, people coming who are going to measure things. And that's another aspect of the modern, right? Is empiricism, not necessarily rationalism, which, you know, um, is a big part of the religious tradition of the Middle Ages, but empiricism, this sort of objective gathering of data, really is uh, an Enlightenment era construction, right? And that we're going to gather data disinterestedly, as the cartographers say to one another when they're, they're doing their measurements. And what this movie reveals is that disinterestedness is probably not even possible because disinterestedness requires the illusion that someone is stepping away from context. And the measurements being made, the way that Finnegaro is being measured, is being made within a context, being made within the context of we need to do something for Great Britain because we have this war on. And it's the measurements are being made in the context of we're a town that tells a story of the town, right? The town is a self-narrating community. And part of that narration is that we stood against the British behind our mountain. We are a mountain town. We are not a hill town. Hill town doesn't have the same ring. And, you know, even very early on, Morgan the Goat, who is Morgan the Goat and the Reverend Jones, it's actually a really lovely pairing. Even though they don't like each other, they are the two sparks that make the mountain happen in the movie. They're both the organizing forces that are able to rally the community to to work as a unit to, to build this mountain. And they eventually come to an understanding, Jones and Morgan, um, but even when they're antagonistic to one another, they are both focused on the goal. Neither of them is the bad guy. They're simply two members of the community who play different roles in the community, but are still both very civically minded and invested in, I would say, the, the virtues of the community, which in part is spawned from the narrative that this community of Finetgaro says. And so we see, you know, just stepping back from all of that and thinking of the idea of community itself. What is that? And so the idea of community really is rooted in a collection of practices, the way names are used, the practices of the community, the allegiance to the idea of the mountain. World War I and the measurements it requires clearly set a standard shaped by modernity, as I said before. Um, it's, it's a war that was equipped with guns and mustard gas. It killed tens of millions of people, and, and people who didn't die in war died of influenza. Um, and it's, it is just, it is the travesty that makes the modern world, and even modernism, the artistic movement, especially a literary artistic movement that comes after the war, is always looking back on the war as um, kind of the source of the end. Right? So the moderns are always looking back. The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot really is about Europe after the war. Okay? 
And so this community is standing up to modernity and taking pride in that which it is, which is this traditional old-timey, if you want to say that, but um, changing but still bound to the past. That's what this community is. Um, and the mountain stands in for the tradition of the place. Wales is what was. England, to the east, who's coming in to draft their boys and measure their mountains, England is what is. Science is dispassionate. What a phrase. Of course, of course, when the cartographers say science is dispassionate, they, order, they offer no justification for why dispassion, a lack of passion, empirical tic-tac-toe, should supersede the emotive concern of the citizens, whose investment seems right on the money considering the size of the community. Investing in the narrative of the mountain, in the narrative of the community, helps bring pride into that community and helps it function somewhat coherently, right? And out of that functioning comes the virtues and the means and ways in which you behave. There's a variety. There's a spectrum of acceptable behavior. Jones and Morgan the Goat, they, they might not have exactly the same virtues. Morgan is not a church-attending man. He's perfectly happy sleeping with a bunch of women. Um, he runs a bar that the Reverend Jones won't even step into. However, their virtues too come out of the narrative making of the community, the practice, if you will, of the community. And what we see is the system of virtue um, is destroyed by measurement, by the coming of science, by this idea of dispassion, that we can separate out the emotive concerns of people from that which is. And the cartographers are not saying because we have the facts of the matter, we can say what ought to be, right? They're not presuming to bridge the human is-ought distinction. They're not saying what should be. They're just saying what is. However, what they're missing with their kind of science is dispassionate rhetoric is that the idea of science isn't dispassionate. It itself is a set of behaviors and practices that is different from the behaviors and practices of the community. And they are now at loggerheads. They're now banging heads together, the community and quote-unquote science, or science's representatives, the cartographers. And if science gets its way, the community really can't, right? And if the community gets its way, you know, science can kind of, they can come to a negotiation, and they do in the end of the movie when they build up the, the, the hill into a mountain. Uh, you know, Hugh Grant's character measures it using the same tools that he did before. So eventually, the discourse of science is satisfied in the end, in the end of the picture. But science then is no longer presuming to be dispassionate. Actually, Hugh Grant is quite invested in the success of this project by the end, and even more invested because after he takes the measurements, he gets engaged to a woman from the town. So, you know, that is clearly a change in his in his position vis-a-vis uh, -vis his profession. Yeah. Um, 
community for the town of Finitgaro, this this small Welsh community. Uh, it's proud of the mountain, um, and it does have conflicts within it. Right, the community is not um, monolithic. Right, there are individuals in the community. However, the individuals come out of the community. They don't predate the community. The community doesn't come out of the individuals. The individuals, at least in part, come out of the community. And so there's still going to be conflict. The church doesn't like the bar, and the bar doesn't like the church. But mostly, everything works. Um, And we have to ask, what does that mean? What does it mean for everything to work? Community here means something pre-modern. It refers to a collection of practices and traditions that, in themselves, arise as virtues among the participants. From the needs and practices of this community, we see a tradition arise that works, quote-unquote. In other words, people are able to live their lives and agree on what is valued and what isn't valued within a range, right? Again, church, bar, bar, church. The way to think about this is is through this idea of narrative that I've said already uh, a few times. And I'm going to quote here from Alistair McIntyre, and he is a political philosopher, really an ethicist who's kind of dabbling in political—I wouldn't call it dabbling. He's an ethicist who moved into political philosophy, and he wrote a very influential book in the early 1980s called After Virtue that discusses some of these ideas. It's really— uh, from this book that I'm kind of drawing some of these conclusions, or at least I'm being helped along to these conclusions by McIntyre's work. And I want to quote from that book now, quote, Sophocles portrayed human life in dramatic narrative because he took it that human life already had the form of a dramatic narrative. Dot, dot, dot. It is the individual in his or her role representing his or her community who is, as in epic, the dramatic character. Hence, in some important sense, the community, too, is a dramatic character which enacts the narrative of its history. End quote. The community tells its own story through the narrative of the mountain, or a narrative that needs the mountain. The mountain itself guarded against the invading English, This is the heroic story that shapes a narrative that makes the community, and the community needs to tell its own story. And if you come in and interrupt that story, even in a very, what we might think of as minute way, it's the the hill guarded against the English instead of the mountain, it's still the modern world demanding by what are fairly arbitrary standards. I mean, what, what is a thousand feet, right? <laughs> Entirely arbitrary, but demanding by arbitrary standards that your narrative be reshaped to become a tool of modernity. And in this case, to become a tool of a great war, right? That they want to change their narrative so that the, the narrative is not a means to establish virtue and tradition within the town, but that the stuff of the narrative, including the mountain, are a means to serve the needs of the war. And that's what's that's what's going on here. That's the tension here. And the narrative shapes the community as well. 
as Michael Sandel, another political philosopher, writes, it's that the individual is not prior to his or her ends. Those ends are situated by the community, and therefore the community partially constructs the self. Finnett Garo creates both Morgan the Goat and Reverend Jones. Despite their dislike for each other, they both are playing the tradition of the town. For the mountain to be a mountain is for the town to maintain the narrative of itself and consequently to maintain the narrative of each person. And then we also have to ask, what is modernity? And we've covered this a little bit already. Modernity is empirical measurement. Modernity is the war. But these are kind of... These are kind of aspects of modernity, not the thing itself. And let's see if we could talk about what modernity is itself. And for simplicity's sake, we might say that modernity is the Enlightenment and the consequences of the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment is that era in history, um, really in German and English history, really Scottish. If you're looking at England, it's really Scotland that did it. Um, but, you know. Scottish and German history, a little bit in, in France as well, that it's really the end of the 17th century and through the 18th century. And this is the point where the, um, the development of science explodes and we have a lot of scientists beginning to develop individual fields. The field of economics becomes very important. Um, political philosophy as an art in itself becomes very valuable. We see at the beginning of the Enlightenment in the, the 1690s, John Locke is publishing his two treatise on government, um, and David Hume in the, the 1730s and 40s is publishing on economics and politics, and we begin to see individual rights and natural rights, even though natural rights predates the Enlightenment, you know, goes back to the Greeks, goes back to the Bible, really. But a natural rights conception becomes a centerpiece of political philosophy that says the individual is prior to any state, and therefore individual rights separated from a particular religious concern or traditional concern is what we what what would be a better way to situate a state to situate a governing body um and so that that is the idea and then there's a kind of a celebration of the mechanical arts and the coming of industrialization which which begins to happen we start to see factories i think the first factory in england is in the 1730s but i'm not positive uh it really is much more of a 19th century conception but the idea of technological advance as a good right is an enlightenment idea even as it continues well past the enlightenment and a lot of people would, would say we all are still living in the enlightenment era i i suppose and even our government i mean the american government the american revolution much like the French Revolution, are Enlightenment occurrences. Um, at this point, the world turns towards empirical, verifiable fact, um, natural law conceptions of the individual, um, and individuality and empiricism. And empiricism, just to define that word, is tested by experience, right? Tested by observation. 
You observe something and you get a conclusion from it. Why this is so important for modernity is if you have a religious rule, a rule by religious right, well, religious rights tend not to provide empirical evidence, observable evidence of the religion's truth values. Instead, you know, you, you have these kind of claims of revealed knowledge combined with rational discourse, et cetera, et cetera. So empiricism is something that was really developing, especially in England, and becomes important for the, the foundation of the Enlightenment. And so individuality and empiricism, we could almost think of those two things as as in combination being the cornerstone of the Enlightenment. Um, and then with those in tow, we have the American Revolution, science, Newton, Hume, economics, international trade, industrialization, computers, etc. right? Well, we don't have computers yet, but, you know, later on, well, you know, science is going to keep developing, obviously. Um, while I'm personally quite the fan of the Enlightenment, I'm, I'm glad it happened, individual rights is A-OK -okay with me, these types of films and these types of philosophers, McIntyre and Sandal, are far more skeptical of the individual as divorced from the community. Part of this problem is the interminability of ethical discussion. How do we say what is ethically right and good, true and just, etc.? And I think McIntyre—I know McIntyre would say that you really can't. That tradition, ethics, virtue, what is right and wrong—that they're not. Um, they're not meaningless terms, and they're not relativistic terms, but they're coming out of the practice of a community. And he compares this to chess, right? The, the virtues of great chess aren't really dependent on how much money chess grandmasters make. They're dependent upon the rules internal to chess, not the situation external to chess. And I think what we see with the town and the virtues that manifest out of the town, even in conflict, minor conflict, they are rules within the game, the quote-unquote game, that the town plays. And the external threat ends up being these kind of um, people hanging on the coattails of the Enlightenment, the cartographers, the political theorists, the the people who arranged for Mazzaro treaties that got England into war, that got these poor Welsh men drafted and killed. Um, that's an external threat. That is outside the game of Finetgaro. Okay. Um, good. And so we already talked a little bit about ends, how the community is no longer an end in itself. Once England comes in, once Great Britain comes in, the community and the mountain, which is even more upsetting, the mountain becomes an end for the war, right? Um, it's, a, it's a means to end the war, or to, I guess we should say, to win the war more properly. And therefore, what really is happening in this town is a tragedy, and the people in it really stop the tragedy from occurring, right? And the 
the way they do that is by the establishment of the mountain. They make the mountain. They make the mound that makes the mountain. And the establishment of the mountain, it's this physical representation of the communal rejection of modernity. The story they tell themselves about themselves survives against the machines of both war and science. And the war is connected to the mountain in the minds of the community. And we could see this in the Reverend Jones's sermon, um, which he gives before the final day in which they build the mountain and, um, and retain their narrative. And I'll, I'll quote this in full. Quote, Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill. I see it as a prayer made manifest in soil. One day our children's children will play where we are piling earth. Elderly people will be able to see it from far away and will be reminded of their youth. And therefore, even though it is a Sunday, but a special one because it is Sunday, you will see me immediately after this service climbing Finitgaro with God's soil in my hand, and I will build that mound and dedicate it to God. I will build that mound in memory of our loved ones who will not return from rule, who will not return from war, and I will build that mound as a humble echo to the great mountains the Lord has given us. And I will build that mound in celebration of the joy our mountain has given us. And I will build that mound knowing that the Lord God is with me. Exalt in God and worship at his holy hill. End quote. In the modern world, mountains fall. It is pre-modern man that must build them up again. This has been Tom with B-Side. Thank you very much.